This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Colder weather and relaxed pandemic restrictions mean more people indoors. So this week we're asking how ventilation and air filtration can reduce the spread of COVID-19. Hi, Jeffrey. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Do, um, are you uh, are you partaking in uh, indoor activities aside from being with your family at home? Um, I do so, but I'm quite selective. I kind of recognize that there's a risk, and so I kind of evaluate every every choice based on that risk. Uh, although I do want to comment that, like many people, most of this stuff is out of sight, so you don't know what's there uh, just by looking at a space. I don't know if I should be reassured about that, given the fact that you are an expert, but, but I know you're going to guide us through, through the questions and the answers that, that we need to know. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start by asking you to ad lib a, hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Sure. My name is Jeff Siegel. I'm a professor in the Department of Civil and Mineral Engineering at the University of Toronto. Uh, I study indoor air quality generally and specifically things like filtration and ventilation to control indoor particulate matter. First of all, what should people know about concepts like ventilation, air filtration, and what they have to do with COVID at this stage of the pandemic? Yeah, okay. So at this point, we know that some of the transmission of COVID-19 is happening because it's airborne. And to the extent that that transmission is happening, things like filtration and ventilation can be very important for, for reducing our risk. So I always like to start with something really important that, you know, there's nothing magic in anything I talk about today. You know, they are one more layer of protection and we have to have lots of layers of protection to do well. And then having said that, you know, they, there's definitely a role here for reducing your risk uh, by improving ventilation and filtration. You can walk into a room that has a fan going and it's blowing air around, but that's not ventilation, is it? Yeah, that's not ventilation at all. And in fact, a comment I would make that most people are probably familiar with is most homes in Canada, certainly anything built, you know, uh, uh, more than 10 years ago probably doesn't have fresh air at all. So when the fan runs, you might think, oh, well, I'm getting some ventilation. No, it's just recirculating air from one part of the house, heating it or or cooling it if we're in the summer and delivering it to other parts of the house. So let's talk about ventilation in some very common indoor spaces. So let's start with restaurants. What should people be on the lookout for when they go out to eat? Yeah, so you're going to see that my answer is the same for a lot of environments. But for restaurants, I would say the question you should ask when you're making your reservation or when you're first arriving at the restaurant is, you know, what have they done? And you might not have all the expertise to interpret their answer, but what everyone can understand is how engaged they are. And so if they say, oh, we made these improvements, we did this, uh, we did that, that's a very different answer than, you know, eh, the landlord did something, I'm not exactly sure what it was, or nah, we, we didn't do much. And so what you can gauge is how engaged they are in using filtration and ventilation. You also get the sense of kind of how much they, they care about this as a risk and uh, by, by the, the answer that they give you. So what kinds of answers can we expect if we ask them or should we expect? 
I think it's going to fall like kind of along two lines. On one hand, you're going to get people who like you want them to stop talking because they're so excited about all the things they've done in the space. <laughs> and, and, and that's a great thing, right? Then, then yeah. you can have a little bit more comfort there. And I think you're also going to get the answer of, yeah, I don't really know, you know, or, or something like that. And, you know, I, I, everyone's got a different level of risk tolerance, but I would be hesitant to go into that second space. What about gyms? Is there anything different that, that, that people should be asking about when they're deciding whether or not they want to exercise in a particular gym? The difference that I see a little bit about gyms is that if people immediately go to talking about why they don't think it's a risk, um, then to me, that's a little bit of a red flag. You know, we know that gyms um, can be, there has been some outbreaks in, in gyms and fitness studios, and it has to do with people breathing heavily, so they're breathing out more respiratory particles. Uh, and then you couple that with maybe imperfect ventilation, uh, and you get an increased risk. And so with gyms, I would say just the one piece I would add to it is if people kind of dismiss the possibility of transmission in a, in a gym, then I think that's another, you know, it's not, I'm not telling anyone what decision to make. I'm just saying that that would cause me some hesitation. Let's talk about schools. Can we expect, you know, for parents a higher level of disclosure, uh, given the fact that, you know, if we're talking, say, publicly funded or even privately funded schools, uh, because we're talking about our children that, and, and these are institutions of learning, that, that they're going to be able to recite chapter and verse about the state of the art uh, improvements that they've made to ventilation and air filtration? I hope we get there. We're not there now. Uh, and we aren't. I, I think that the issue right now is that, you know, we haven't, we underinvest in HVAC, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning generally. And you think about schools and the big maintenance backlogs and some of the issues around education funding. Now, certainly some schools uh, are, have taken this very proactively and are taking active measures. Uh, and there's certainly more attention paid to it. And so um, I certainly encourage you to ask the question of the administrator or maybe of the teacher in the classroom and to see what kind of response you get. But I also think there's a bigger lesson for all of us that, you know, ventilation was really important before the pandemic. You know, schools that have poor indoor, uh, indoor air quality have lower performance on standardized tests, worse cognitive function, higher rates of absenteeism, uh, higher incidence of asthma uh, and the severity of the, the asthma cases. And so the, the argument to invest in the ventilation and the filtration and more generally the indoor air quality in these schools is huge. Wow. Um, I was only dimly aware of that. But we can say that what's good for COVID prevention or, or prevention of COVID uh, transmission and circulation in schools is also good for a lot of other health uh, effects as well. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the argument that the thing I hope we take from COVID is not we're doing all this stuff to protect us from COVID. Uh, we're doing all this stuff because it will have this long term benefit. And in fact, if you look at the kind of benefit to cost ratio of investing in things like filtration and ventilation, you know, it's got about a, a hundred to one or a 10 to one uh, benefits to costs. So for every dollar we invest, we get 10 to $100 back in return. Most of that is avoided healthcare costs, but there are other benefits as well. And so, you know, it, it's really, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a new model, but it's a very true uh, model that we should be doing this investment. 
one more indoor environment that will become increasingly common as more people travel, and that's passenger jets. So, you know, my sense is the passenger jets, uh, that they're, they're state-of-the-art air filtration, air, you know, ventilation systems. Am I right? So in general, you're correct, uh, but it does vary from type of plane to, to type of plane. So in general, wide body airplanes, you know, the kinds that have two aisles are going to have better systems than, than, than ones with a single aisle. Also, in general, newer aircraft are going to have much better uh, ventilation and filtration systems than older aircraft, although there's a lot of variation. But in general, it's a relatively safe environment, but I would make two comments about it that I think about when I fly. The first one is that, you know, you are sitting close to a lot of people. And so the best ventilation system in the world only has a small impact on close contact transmission. So you still, you know, things like masks are still really important, both, you know, a good, I wear an N95, a very good mask uh, when I travel on planes and, and make a decision about each trip about whether I really need to do it. And I've only flown once since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and uh, uh, so I think that people should still look at it at that context. And again, I don't know how generalizable it is, but when I was flying, I found that the time on the plane was not the kind of high risk time for me. Uh, the time was, you know, all the things that happened along the way. So, for instance, the gate that my flight happened to leave from uh, was super crowded, super packed. People were really close together. And, you know, there wasn't a lot. People were like, oh, the plane's the high risk. So, you know, there were some people with masks below their noses and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so thinking about not just the plane itself, but all the things that go along with traveling are really important. So let's now shift to homes. How useful is it to buy an air filtration unit at the present time? Okay, so if your goal is COVID protection, uh, I have to tell you that um, I'm not too worried about people getting COVID in their homes. The risk of COVID transmission within a home is someone else in the household has COVID and you have contact with them and, and, and you get the, the disease. And so I would say that the, rather than investing in filters um, for COVID purposes, uh, I would say you want to think about how you can safely isolate someone who does get COVID or um, you know, has contact with others with COVID. And that is, I think, the best advice. Now, having said that, air filters are enormously a good thing to have in your home, uh, but I just think the COVID risk is a small part of that. So if you are going to buy one, what factors should you consider? So this is an easy, easy answer. The thing you want to care about is something called the clean air delivery rate, or CADR. That is a measure of how much clean air the air cleaner delivers. And it's not perfect, but in general, manufacturers of good air cleaners report their CADRs. It's the product of a standardized test. And the bigger the CADR, the better. Uh, and so, you know, for a small room, you don't need as high a number. For a bigger room, it's good to have a high number. 
Uh, it also depends on what you're dealing with. If you're somewhere with a wildfire plume, you probably care a lot about doing a lot of air cleaning. If you're just kind of more thinking about general protection, then it's you know fine to have a, a, a lower CADR. But that is the performance parameter that people should care about. So can you give us an idea of what numbers are they should be shooting for in what size rooms? Is it is it can can you express it in that way? Yes. Um, so. Uh, the answer is, of course, it depends, but here's what it depends on. Uh, so first of all, many manufacturers will tell you the square footage that the um, that the air cleaner is appropriate for. And that's based on um, it's delivering usually a number like about five air changes per hour of clean air through the air cleaner. Uh, and so um, so that's really good. And that exists most of the time when that doesn't exist. Um, you do have to do a little bit of a calculation, uh, and the calculation, you know, it's never easy to talk about math here, but if you Google it, you'll find lots and lots of calculation, you know, the approach, it's a very simple formula, and you just say, okay, this is the CADR, this is the size of the room, this is how many air changes I get through the air cleaner. And ideally, you'd be up at a number like, let's say, four, five, something like that uh, in your home, but, you know, certainly being at Three air changes is a lot better than being at one. Are they all the same? Uh, the the ones that are that are being sold by the major manufacturers, and we're not going to be endorsing one or another. Yeah. So um, no, it is a jungle out there for the consumer, and the challenge is that you know fundamentally many of the good filters are quite simple. They are a fan uh, and a filter. And so, uh, you know, manufacturers have to find ways to differentiate themselves. And so some of them put like a pollutant sensor on the device or some of them uh, have other features. I'm not so concerned about that because the CADR is the CADR and the consumer can evaluate. What I am quite concerned about is there's a lot of manufacturers promoting what I'm going to call unproven technologies, things like bipolar ionization, photocatalytic oxidation, plasma, all kinds of names. The names don't really always mean something. Uh, and a lot of those air cleaners are simply just not that effective. And in some cases, and how common this is, is a kind of a questionable thing, but some cases they actually create harmful byproducts as they operate. So what I suggest people do is, first of all, rely on independent review uh, sites. So things like Consumer Reports or the Wirecutter or, 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 or sources like that. And number two, um, you know, stick with, with what we know works, which is, you know, filtration-based units. We've said before on the dose that the best air filtration unit does not compare to just opening windows. So I wanted to get your take. So you're going to find me to be somewhat skeptical about opening windows. And uh, I want to be really careful about how I say this. Opening windows is generally good. Uh, but the problem is open window, you're just making a hole between the inside and the outside. And unless there's something to drive airflow through that hole, it doesn't matter that there's a hole there. And so, for example, on kind of a mild day where there's not much of a temperature difference between inside and outside, maybe it's relatively calm, there's not much wind, that you won't get much airflow through that hole. 
And so the, the, so opening windows is always good, but what I can't tell you is how good it is. Sometimes, and this is based on measurements in my own house, it makes a big difference, adds a lot of ventilation flow, and other times it adds very, very little. You know, we've 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 had a big sea change in the last few months, where there's now general recognition, uh, not just among experts, but in the public, that COVID is airborne, and and there's a lot of implications um, about that. One of them is is what it might mean for those plexiglass barriers that so many businesses have installed. How effective are those plexiglass uh, barriers at preventing the spread of COVID? So the short answer is they're not very effective, and in some cases, they're counterproductive. So the idea of a barrier is that it's going to stop large droplets, um, that, that the air you know, going around the barrier, the droplets can't follow that air and end up depositing on the barrier. In real life, there's this big question about how much transmission is actually happening with those, with those big droplets, as well as the fact that Remember, we have acknowledged COVID is airborne. And so in some cases, it's been shown that barriers actually restrict airflow and kind of create um, little areas where the air stagnates, where there might be an increased risk. And so the comments I make about barriers, um, I'm mostly negative on barriers. I do acknowledge that they do serve some role. Uh, An example I always think about is um, occupationally, think about the cashier at the grocery store, you know, hundreds of people come through uh, on their shift. They're relatively close and there's no other way to do that. And so a barrier makes sense there. And to be effective, the barrier has to be really large, right? It can't just be a little barrier. It has to go up high enough that, you know, the air would really have to work hard to get around it. And that also, don't forget, we've got the person on the other side and we have to protect them. So, so you know, something like a HEPA filter or uh, enhanced ventilation delivered to where the, um, the, the, the worker is, uh, is really important. Last question I want to ask you. Um, you know, people talk about the, the negative effects of COVID and COVID consciousness on our society, but, but there have been good spinoff benefits. And, and even after the pandemic ends, I'm thinking that improvements to ventilation systems will bring broader social and economic benefits. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, COVID has obviously been bad. Uh, but if there is kind of a silver lining, um, I think that there is. We, we get these enormous benefits. And remember, it's, this is an area we've kind of systematically chosen not to invest in as a, as a society. So there's kind of we're leaving the way I look at it. We're leaving money on the table uh, by not investing in this. So I think we have an enormous opportunity here. And I'd even go further than that. And, and I would go further than by saying, you know, we obviously have big health disparities in our society. We see that with COVID. We see that with a lot of other things. So, you know, I can imagine a future, uh, and I hope this doesn't seem kind of too naive, where we actually improve indoor air quality and see it as a way of starting to address some of those, those societal disparities. And I think if we're, if we're um, smart uh, about how we deploy these measures, not only are they economic positives, uh, but they have a lot of secondary benefits. Uh, you know, avoided healthcare costs is the big number, but 
We create, you know, capacity uh, in terms of individuals who know how to do this and companies who make some of the things that you need. Uh, and so, you know, it's part of a, a future that I think we already kind of accept for things like climate change, that there is, you know, kind of a green future around energy efficiency and, 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 and other aspects. I think the same sort of thing could be thought about for indoor air quality. Jeff Siegel, I want to thank you for answering some very practical questions that I'm sure people have about uh, indoor air filtration and ventilation systems. Thanks, Brian. Jeffrey Siegel is a professor in the Department of Civil and Mineral Engineering at the University of Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. Both ventilation and air filtration reduce the risk of COVID transmission indoors, but they mean different things. Indoor ventilation means fresh air coming in from outdoors. Opening a window improves indoor ventilation when you can feel the air circulating. For instance, when there's a cross breeze. An indoor fan does not improve ventilation when the windows are closed. An air filtration system filters out COVID and other particles by pushing air through a filter. HEPA filters are effective at this. Portable air filtration systems for your home generally consist of a fan and a filter. The rest are features you may or may not want or need. Aim for a device that delivers four to six air exchanges per hour in the room where you want to put the device. The louder the fan, the harder the machine is working. Turning it down so it's less noisy makes it less effective. Avoid machines that use unproven technologies like ionization and oxidation. They may not be as effective as proven machines and may do more harm than good. Make sure the indoor public spaces you patronize, like restaurants and gyms, are equipped for ventilation and air filtration. In general, passenger planes are safe from both standpoints. Some educational boards have been slow to retrofit schools with state-of-the-art air filtration systems, but they're catching up. Better systems in schools help reduce the spread of COVID and other respiratory diseases. They have huge spin-off benefits, like reducing the risk of asthma and improving students' cognitive performance. If you have topics you'd like covered on the dose or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you rate us five stars, more people will be able to find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Rachel Sanders with help from Amina Zoffer and Jeff Goods. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.